Good morning. Uh, today's scripture reading will be found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. And I'll be reading from the NIV. Please hear the word of the Lord. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongues from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must speak peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are attentive to our prayers. But the face of the Lord is always those, but the face of the Lord is always those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Don. Thank you for the reading of God's word. Good morning, Trinity Church. It's good to see you here this morning, Pastor Jeff Gangle, and uh, it's my privilege to bring the word for us this morning. Uh, just uh, <clears throat> love this series that we've been doing in First Peter, and hope that you're following along. And if you uh, if you've been with us through, from the beginning of the series in early June, hopefully you're reading. We suggested that to everybody. Just read through the book each week, five chapters. Monday through Friday, we'll read one each day and uh, be um, really let the, this, this whole book just kind of soak in over these next couple of months. We're about a little over halfway through the book and finish up the end of September, beginning of October. So stay with that. Continue that reading, and uh, God's going to use that to bless your life, I'm sure. And um, I just want to say this morning, just stop it often. I want to do this often just to remember to say thank you to those who uh, serve so faithfully, so well at Trinity Church in so many different ways. Our elders and our deacons and our staff who help lead so many parts of our ministry for our um, worship team that you see up here, different members each, each Sunday, but their faithfulness, their hard work in coming and preparing and practicing and, and being ready to lead us into worship like they just did. And uh, uh, that last song that we sang especially, it's only the second time we've done it, but it's so fitting for this passage today and for the call to what it means to be uh, the loving church of God. And uh, for, for our media team and our greeters out front and <clears throat> just everybody who makes this ministry happen, thank you for participating and being involved. And some of you are teaching and leading small groups and Bible study groups, and so thank you for that investment in God's kingdom. And uh, as we go to the passage today, we're going to talk a little bit about, again, what it means to be His people, the church, believers, and so let's ask for his help and his guidance on our time as we go to his word. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this, this time that we've had to express our worship in song and prayer. And I thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us and provided for us in so many ways. I thank you that you are everything that we've just been singing about this morning, that you are our God and our King and our Lord, thank you that you 
Father sent your son, Jesus, to go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sin. And Lord, thank you for your plan of salvation to redeem us to yourself and to provide an eternity, an assurance of eternity in heaven with you. For all that, Lord Jesus, we are thankful and we sing our praise. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would help us to learn and to know and to practice what it means to be your people, your representatives here on this earth, to be highly invested in that calling. And so, Lord, teach us again from your word this morning, and I pray that you would guard my words, help me to accurately communicate what you want us to hear this morning from you. And I pray that it would be your Holy Spirit and your living word that would be actively working in us to help us understand and help us then to, to, to do, to practice what we hear, to live it out in our lives. And for all this, as you do this, Lord, we will be thankful, and we will give you all the glory and all the praise for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just a few minutes before, he had been sleeping when he should have been praying. But he was suddenly wide awake because he heard the sounds of a mob coming through the trees of the garden. As he heard that sound, Peter reached for that sword that was tucked under his tunic to make sure it was still there. Surely this was trouble coming. As he watched, he began to see the torchlights coming through the trees in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they came, people came into view, he realized these were soldiers. Not only did they have torches, they had weapons. And they were coming for Jesus. As they got a little bit closer, he recognized these were not Roman soldiers. These were the temple guards. And leading them was, sure enough, Judas. Could that possibly be one of their own? One of the very disciples who'd just been with them that night in the upper room. And here he was leading this mob. Of course, he, he would know where Jesus was. He knew about this garden. He knew Jesus would be here praying he betrayed the Lord. And Peter had to be filled with anger suddenly, and he gripped a little tighter to the, the hilt of that sword, and his heart began to beat a little bit faster. As they came closer, Judas walked forward and gave Jesus a kiss on the cheek. And Jesus said, do what you came to do. And so the soldiers moved in. The guards took hold of Jesus. And I realized I couldn't just stand there any longer. I had to do something. They were going to arrest our Lord, the teacher. And so I pulled out my sword and just started slashing away that anybody I could find and caught the side of the head of the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And before anybody could respond... Jesus grabbed Peter's arm and said, put away your sword. And then he reached down, picked up that bloody ear out of the dirt, and put it back on the side of that screaming servant and healed him. So they took Jesus away. And at that moment, all the other disciples ran. Scared for their lives. They went into hiding. Peter followed the mob, followed the soldiers that had arrested Jesus, but from a distance. 
He saw that they took Jesus to the house of the high priest for this secretive night trial. And Peter stayed out in the courtyard. And from there, he must have been able to hear enough and see enough to write the words that he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, a verse, a passage that we studied just a few weeks ago. Look at this verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Peter saw Jesus respond in this way. This moment, this occurrence shaped Peter for his life. You see, when he had responded with a sword, Jesus kept silent. When Peter wanted to kill somebody, Jesus was determined to save the world. When Peter tried to retaliate, Jesus chose to heal. And when Peter wanted blood, Jesus wanted to bless. So, it's no surprise that 30 plus years later, after this event, when Peter was writing this letter that we've been studying to these believers in Asia Minor, he understood now the example that Jesus was giving to him and all of his followers. Peter could see the humility of Jesus, the submission of Jesus to the Father's plan. He learned submission himself from watching Jesus. And he wants us to learn that lesson as well. So let's do that together. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're now in chapter 3. If you have your electronic device, and for those of you that are watching at home, thank you for tuning in. Just engage with us. Get your Bible out. Follow along. Take some notes. Learn from this passage too because Peter wants us to get this right. If you were here back in May, when we sang that song we sang a minute ago, it was also the Sunday that we studied Romans chapter 12. We, we entitled that that message, choose love, that idea of, of choosing to love one another. And we looked at Paul's words in Romans 12 about that. You'll hear some echoes. It sounds very much the same as you listen to Peter's words this morning in this passage in 1 Peter 3. And in this passage, these verses 8 to 12, Peter gives us first of all a picture of our community, what it means to be the church, what it looks like. Then he gives us a picture of our calling, tells us what our calling is as Christians, and then he looks at the blessing, the blessing that we will receive from God as we respond living this life that he's called us to. So first, let's look at the community, our community, which is to be characterized by unity in mind and heart. Look at verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. So Peter starts off this section saying, finally. And it's kind of like, you know, when a pastor says, and in conclusion, and you know that he's not nearly done with the sermon yet, right? And, and Peter's not done yet here either. This is not the end of the book. He's not wrapping up his letter. He's just concluding this, this thought, this, these ideas on submission, it's what we've been studying the last number of weeks in this book together. Now, this time, though, he's, he's talking to everybody, so he is finally 
all of you, now he's broadened it out to the whole church for all of these believers that are reading this letter, because he's talked, remember last week, specifically to husbands and to wives, right? So in the home, in marriage, here's how submission works. And the week before that, he talked to slaves and and talked about that responsibility to respect and submit to authority in our working relationships. And the week before that, he was talking to us as citizens, how we come under the authority and submit to the authority and government around us, authority around us. And now he says, now the submission issue, this is for all of us. It's what we call mutual submission. It's what we're all called to in the body of Christ. This is what the church should look like, what he's going to describe for us in verse 8. This is what we should look like. These are the virtues, the character traits, notice, that will set us apart from the world, but that will also draw us together as the body of Christ. That's why we so desperately need these characteristics. It shows how we are different from our world, but how we are united in spirit and heart and mind as believers. So let's take a quick look at these five qualities, each one individually. First, Peter says, be like-minded. Now, the Greek word here literally means, it's important that you hear this, it means minding the same things. It doesn't mean, as we tend to think when we read like-minded, we tend to, well, that means you're supposed to think the same way about everything. That's not what it means. The word means to mind the same things, the most important things. So the things that God has given to us, those ultimate goals, the things of Christ, those are the things, those are the priorities that we are to mind together, to think about together, that drive us together. So that means, yes, we can have and we do have different personalities and different backgrounds, different ideas and different, different gifts and different opinions. That is going to be the case in the body of Christ. Paul describes that. We're all different members of the body, but we are like-minded if we are together united on the things that God says are most important. That's the mind of Christ. There, there's an old hymn that I remember singing growing up, really good words, so the, the verse, or maybe it was the chorus, that says, May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by His love and power controlling all I do and say. That's a commitment to the mind of Christ at work in me, and that is the mind that draws us then together to be like-minded. Second, he says, be sympathetic. So here, too, the word helps us. The Greek word is actually sympathis, which, as you can tell, sounds a lot like our English word, right? Sympathy comes from that Greek word, and it literally means suffering together. So sympathy means having sincere feelings for the hurts and the needs of others. It's, it's the willingness to enter into the pain of others, to carry that struggle with them. Now, let me just kind of give you a, a little picture of this, that, uh, for instance. So, let's say I walk in the back door here in the middle of the weekend, and Jason's getting the church ready for Sunday morning, he's, and he's trying to move this big, heavy communion table all by himself. And so I see that from the back, and I say, man, that looks hard. That's a heavy table. I don't think he's going to be able to do that by himself. Good luck, Jason. And I walk back out the door. That's not sympathy. Sympathy 
means to come in and take one end of the table and carry the load with him, share the burden. That's a very visible picture of sympathy. That's what the word means. That's what Peter is talking about here, that we do that for each other in our struggles, in our difficulties. Be sympathetic. Third, love one another. Very straightforward phrase. We hear it often in the New Testament. And the word here is philadelphoi. It's the Greek word. Do you recognize that word as well? Like the city, Philadelphia, it means brotherly love. And so as soon as we hear that, we know Peter's reminding us that we are part of a family. We are in God's family. So we're called to love one another within this family. The church is not just an organization of members. Yes, we have members, but it's not just about organized members. The church is not an institution of colleagues. It's, It's not a gathering of constituents. The church is a family. And in this family, we have a prime directive from our Father to love one another and the family. This is what the Father calls us to. And not only that, not just to love each other, it's not just a one-off thing or an occasional thing, it's a growing thing. Love is to abound more and more. Paul says this, look at another passage we'll put on the screen here, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10. Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. He says, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Paul is saying to this church, yeah, you're doing great, you're loving one another, but you've got to keep at it. You've got to keep growing in this. Keep loving one another more and more. And this has to be our priority as well. To say it's great, okay, we're growing in our relationships, we're loving one another, but we cannot be satisfied. We need to keep loving each other more and more and more. Do you love the body of Christ, your family here, more than you did six months ago? Do you love them now more than you did a year ago? Or have you been here long enough five years ago? Is your love growing? Are you actively pursuing the growth of that love for others? Love one another. Fourth, he says, be compassionate. And it sounds a lot like love. Just another word for loving one another? No, literally it means tender-hearted. Tender-hearted, merciful. Are you tender in your, your heart toward other people? Do you care about them, about what's going on in their life, good or bad? Do you, have, do you, do you listen to what's happening to others? Listen to their story, respond to them. See, it's, it's easy for us to become hardened and calloused in this way. It's easy, especially in our current society and situation, just to see all the, the junk around us and just to kind of wall, try to wall it off, just become hardened in our hearts towards everything and everyone. It's just going to keep to myself. And, and Peter is saying to us, you can't do that. You've got to be tender in your heart. You've got to keep your heart soft toward other people. Because tender hearts will then be united hearts. Finally, Peter says, be humble. 
We really don't need a lot of explanation of that word. We know that word. We use that word. We understand it. It's the willingness to put others above ourselves, to think of others more highly than we think of ourselves. That's humility. Paul describes it great in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The best definition of it I can come up with is what Paul gives us right here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. There it is. That's, that's humility. So in these five phrases, Peter has given us this description of a healthy, loving church body. But how do we get there? How do we do this? The great concepts, but how do, we, how do we live this out? Did you notice in these characteristics that it really could be a description of Jesus himself, right? I mean, th- these are the characteristics of Christ. And we know that Christianity is about following Jesus. It's about imitating Jesus. It's about becoming more and more like him. That's what God wants for our lives. That's the work He is doing in our lives. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives to teach us and show us what it means to be like Jesus. He is doing that conforming, transforming work in us to imitate what we see and hear Jesus. Our uh, grandson Trey is... uh, two, he'll turn three in November this fall. And, you know, that stage of life, if you have had two-year-olds or know any two-year-olds, it's a stage of imitation. That's how they learn, right, at that stage. They learn through imitation. And so our grandson Trey loves music. And so his parents, our son and daughter-in-law, they've been singing to him and, and playing music for him since he was born. In fact, Trey has his own hymnal. It's part of all of his kids' books. He also has a hymnal, a church hymnal in there. And he'll open up the hymnal, and he'll just start singing. As if, He just can't read. He doesn't know what he's singing. But he starts singing a hymn that he's learned through imitation, and he imitates it as he sings it. So they've been playing all different kinds of music for him. And so sometimes he'll just break into songs. So the other day, just this past week, he was sitting at the table just munching on a cracker, and he started singing. So they just kind of quietly set the phone up and started recording and sent us to watch this short video of our grandson, Trey, singing. There were bells on the hill, but they never heard them ringing. No, I never heard them at all. There were birds in the sky, but they never saw Time for a cracker break there. <laughs> Just the feeling. He's singing, if you recognize this, a love song from the music man. <laughs> but he's singing it. With feeling because he's imitating what he's heard. It's a beautiful little picture of us imitating Jesus. What we hear of him, what we see of him. This is what Peter's describing in this verse. He's saying, these are the characteristics of Jesus. Imitate him. 
Learn from him. Have the heart of Jesus, the mind of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus. Learn from him. You know, in this COVID crisis, it's, it's led, as you know, to so many tensions and divisions in our society that we could never have anticipated six months ago. You know, before this all started, we'd never have imagined all that has unfolded over these six months. And unfortunately, it affects us as believers too. It can affect us right here in the body of Christ. Those, those divisions and tensions can creep into us, into our lives, into our minds, into our hearts, and affect what happens within the body of Christ. So we need to make sure, and I think that's why God gave us this passage for this morning, for right now, make sure that we're responding to one another with the heart and mind of Jesus. You know, I've told you this before, we, we don't plan out these passages and say, oh, the church is going to need to hear this on this Sunday and this on this Sunday, and this is going to be going on. So We don't know. God brought us to this passage, and God ordained that we should be on this passage, studying this passage today. So we've got to take this as God's word for us today, that he wants us to be reminded of these character traits that if we don't respond to one another this way, we will do harm to his body. And that we need now more than ever to heed Peter's admonition and to hear this, to be like-minded, sympathetic, loving to one another, compassionate toward one another, humble before one another. We need this right now. Well, Peter doesn't stop there. That's just one verse in our passage today. He goes on and reminds us, this is what it looks like. And here is your calling. It actually gets even tougher now, this next, next part of the passage, verse 9, because he's calling us to give blessing for insult. Verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Why does Peter need to tell us this? Why does he need to tell us, don't give evil for evil, don't repay insult for insult? Well, because that's what we would normally do. That's, that's our nature. Our sinful nature is to respond in kind. So we all struggle with that. I mean, just being honest here, that's our natural response. When you're attacked, when you're offended, when you're hurt, the natural response is you're going to push back, you're going to fire back, you're going to retaliate. We all have that natural response. And Peter is saying to us, but hold on, you don't have to respond that way. And Jesus is showing us another way to respond, a different way. So if we're not supposed to fight back, what do we do? Well, Peter, I think he must have been listening to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus preached it, and he's remembering it as he writes this, because you hear echoes of Jesus' voice when Peter says, repay evil with blessing. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 39. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. Then just a few verses later, verse 44, he says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. When Peter first heard that, he must have been thinking, how can we do that? And now he's, he's learned. And now he says it again to us. If someone sins against you, your job as a Christian is to bless them, which means 
You forgive them, which means you show kindness in return, which means you pray blessing on that one who cursed you. This is, this is so counterintuitive, right? You just have to acknowledge that. It's counterintuitive. It goes against the grain. It makes no sense from a worldly perspective at all to respond that way, but that's God's way. And that's what Jesus did. Peter says, to this you were called. This is your calling. And this is what I'm calling you to, church. If you've been saved and changed by Jesus, if you know him as your personal Savior, then you have the greatest blessing of all. You have an inheritance, as Peter talked about from the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 3, an inheritance that will never spoil, fade, diminish in any way. This inheritance kept in heaven for you. You have an eternal blessing. And because of that, you don't need anyone else's blessing. You need to give the blessing, even when others wrong you hurt you, offend you, insult you. We have the capacity to bless others because we've been blessed. And so, please hear this. We can treat others with grace and kindness like this. We can because we've been treated with grace and kindness by God. So we take the blessing we've received, what we've inherited from Him, and we extend that blessing to those around us. Even if they're angry or upset, hurting, insulting. <clears throat> Probably you remember the summer of 2015. And this church... An AME church in Charleston, South Carolina, was attacked. A young man named Dylan Roof, 21 years old, went into that church for a Bible study, but he didn't come in with a Bible, came in with a gun. He killed nine members of that church that night, injured three others. And just 48 hours later, after that massacre, he was arrested, and he was in court for his bond hearing. And family members of those who he had killed were there in that same courtroom face-to-face -face with the one who had killed their loved ones. And instead of shouts of anger, instead of calls for his execution, those family members from that church offered forgiveness. They spoke words of mercy. And the world was shocked, and news reported that and could not believe what they were hearing. How could these family members forgive this guy for what he did when he, he showed no remorse whatsoever? And evidence that believers, when confronted with evil, can respond with blessing with grace, with forgiveness. And the evil hatred of that 
young white supremacist, was overshadowed and overpowered by the forgiveness and the blessing of those Christians. And the world saw it. There's nothing more powerful than that. They met raw evil with extraordinary grace. So, yes, yes, this is hard. And in and of ourselves, it is not possible. But by the grace of God, because we have been received a blessing from Him, we can turn and bless even an extraordinary, extreme situation like that. It's possible to repay evil with blessing. So in the last part of our passage, Peter now gives us a biblical reason for what he's just said. So he spoke in verses 8 and 9. It's a tough challenge, a tough call. Now he says, let me show you from God's Word why this is so important and how God blesses us when we choose this life, when we choose to follow His Son, Jesus. And so our third point this morning is our blessing. The blessing is good life, good in God's definition of good, and God's attention in our lives. Verse 10, for, Peter says, and now he quotes from Psalm 34, Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. So I love this. Peter is reading Scripture. He's quoting Scripture to prove his point in his letter. And he quotes David. This is a Psalm of David, Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. And David is calling on his people, Israel, to fear God. He said he's calling them to live right before God. And if I can paraphrase this a little bit, he's saying essentially, look, if you want your life to count for something good, then you need to put away this evil speech and behavior from your lives, and instead you need to make every effort to seek and pursue God's shalom, God's peace in your lives. And so Peter quotes this, and he's saying, this is it. This is true, satisfying life. This is the only real life. Don't speak words that will harm or mislead others. Instead, be at work for peace in all of your relationships. And notice here what he says, the way Peter says it. It's an active call, the way David says it too. Seek and pursue peace. That word for pursue is actually a hunting term. It's a hunting term, and it means to chase down with intensity and determination and persistence. Seek it with all your might. So I, I mentioned last week about a hike I'd taken and found shelter in this cave or kind of under the edge of this rock during a thunderstorm. Well, that very same hike, share another story from that hike, I, I was on my way up the mountain before that storm hit, and I came to a place on the trail where there was a, a kind of been a rock slide. And so it was hard to see the trail, and I, I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't really look for it because right as I came to that point on the trail, there were two guys hiking down the mountain to my left. And so I'm walking along the trail. I see the rock slide in front of me, and these guys are coming down here. So I figured, didn't even think about it, and this must be the trail. So I turned and started going right up where they had been coming down. I climbed up, climbed up. This is kind of a rugged trail, but maybe it's kind of washed out from the rock slide, whatever. So I'm going up and up, and then, then there's nothing. There is no trail. I had completely lost this trail. That was still a good ways from the top. 
But I decided I, I'm not retracing my steps. I'm not going to go down just to turn around and come back up on the trail. I'm going to say, i got to keep going. Beth does not understand this mindset. But this is the way I think when I'm on this trail. If I figure if I just keep going up, I'll eventually either cross the trail and I'll pick it up there, or if I get to the top, I can find the trail there and I can take it back down. So here I am. I'm pursuing with all diligence, with all persistence. This is the word Peter's using here, pursuing this trail, looking for this path. And it wasn't an easy trek. And this is very steep. It's not the switchbacks of a trail. It's loose rock. So I knew it would be a whole lot more dangerous to go down than to just keep going up. So I just kept going, kept going, pursuing, looking, searching, seeking for that trail. And that's what Peter is describing here. He's saying this is what you need to do. This search for peace is, is going to be difficult. It's going to require work. You're going to have to seek and pursue it because relationships are not easy. Choosing good over, over evil choosing blessing instead of insult, these things that Peter's just been calling us to, they're not easy things. It's not an easy path. It's an uphill climb. But Peter is saying, it's, it's worth it. It's worth the pursuit. And you're not alone in that pursuit, like I was on that mountainside. You have the family of God with you. You have other believers who are pursuing the same thing, who are like-minded the same goals, they're pursuing peace as well. Come alongside them. Draw encouragement from them. And you have God's help too. Look at verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now this is what we would call an anthropomorphism. So David, we're still quoting David's psalm here, he attributes physical characteristics to God. So we know God doesn't actually have eyes and ears and a face. God is spirit. But the use of those metaphors help us better understand God's response to us. And the truth is brought out by this. So Peter is saying and David is saying God is searching for those who are pursuing righteousness who are on that uphill climb. He's watching out for those who are searching, seeking for Him. That God is listening to the prayers of those who are on that uphill climb and are asking for help and asking for His guidance in their pursuit of righteousness and peace. God is attentive to them. And then the psalm emphasizes the other side too, that God sets His face against those who pursue evil. So when we choose to sin, when we go the wrong way, we can know that God is going to stand in our way. And that's to help us, to oppose us in choosing that wrong path. And, and we need that in our lives. In fact, I wish I would have had that back to my, my illustration. I wish I would have had that on that trail. I still don't understand why those two guys who were coming down, which something that was not the trail, when they saw me turn and go up, why didn't they say, don't go this way. It's not a trail. This is not the best way up the mountain. They never said anything. They didn't stop me. So we need this reminder that God will do that. We need to be doing that for one another. Don't go that trail. Don't go the wrong way. Find the right path which I did, by the way, only after I got to the top. <laughs> Came down that trail, and that's how I knew I had gotten off the far, far, far off the trail on my way up. 
We need God's direction. You know, Beth and I have been watching an interesting TV uh, series. It's kind of a little documentary called Trip. Trip, Rogue Trip. And uh, it's done by the newspaper reporter Bob Woodruff right? from days when he was uh, um, a war correspondent. And this series is him and his 20-something son, Mac, traveling to all these unusual places around the world. And wherever they go, they find a local guide, somebody that knows the language and knows the area, to show them around, to interpret for them. And so this guide will usually tell them, yes, the, the places you should go, these are the things you should experience and do here. But the guide is also telling them, now, I know the culture here, don't do this, don't say that, don't eat that. He's helping them by guiding them. And that's what Peter's describing. He says, God is, wants to be your guide. He wants to affirm you in the right thing, answer your prayers, but he's also going to stop you if you're going the wrong way. We need that guidance to stay on the right path. So what has Peter said to us in conclusion here? If we want our lives to count, if we want to see good days, if we want peace in our lives and our relationships, if we want to experience God's blessing continually in our lives, and it comes through following Jesus, living his way, even though that's countercultural. Which brings us right back to the way Peter describes Jesus in chapter 2. We end where we started. Back to chapter 2, verse 21. Peter says, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. See, the suffering Jesus went through wasn't just for the forgiveness of our sins. Yes, it was for our salvation, but it was also to be an example to us of how to live. And so Peter goes on in these next few verses, verse 22, he's telling us, follow in his steps. Look what Jesus did when he was insulted and attacked. And remember, Jesus was innocent. He had not done anything wrong to deserve that. In verse 23, he tells us the response. He tells Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. He didn't defend himself. He entrusted himself to God. Verse 24, he died for our sins. He went to the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be healed. And verse 25, he pursued us like lost sheep that we could be rescued. He sought us out. He diligently, persistently came after us. Jesus endured insult in order to bless you. Are you willing to endure insult in order to bless others? Are you willing to tell them about the Savior and the shepherd who suffered and died for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for thank you for going to the cross for us. Thank you for doing that for our salvation. We desperately needed that for our own forgiveness and cleansing. To have any hope of living this life that Peter describes could only come because of what you did for us. So thank you for that. But Lord Jesus, thank you also for giving us an example, for showing us the way, for showing your followers like Peter, who then remind us and tell us to be imitators of you too. 
to follow your example too because you did it all for us. So, Lord, I pray that you'd keep this on our hearts and our minds. Lord, we need this now so desperately. These character traits, the mind and the heart of Jesus, Lord, keep building that, pouring that into us so that we can be a good reflection of him. Lord, teach us what it means to repay insult with blessing. Though our world doesn't understand it, and without you, we could not do it, but because of your grace in our lives, because of our inheritance, because of the blessing we've received, we can turn and bless. So help us to do that. And Lord God, thank you for the blessing you pour out on us in the meantime, that you're there working in us, teaching us, responding to our prayers, blocking us when we try to go the wrong way. Lord, thank you that you walk with us every step of this journey. And Lord, this morning as we come to the table, we are celebrating the cross, we're celebrating the empty tomb, we're reminding ourselves of this again because without you, we have nothing. We have no hope. But because of you, we have what Peter describes as our living hope. Lord, help us cling to that, hold to that, respond to that, live in that today. In Jesus' precious name we pray this. Amen.